I have to tell you that I did, with a little bit of consternation, consider changing my message today to address the week at hand and to address some of the issues, and, and yet um, I felt like in a lot of ways I would be preaching to the choir, and I feel like many of you are very much aware of the times in which we live and the need for God to turn hearts to raise up righteous leaders, and that is our prayer. As I continued to study in Matthew chapter 18, and I invite you to turn there, as we make our way through the Gospel of Matthew, we have as our text for this week, Matthew 18, 15 through 20, it occurred to me that this is actually an excellent text for the times. When you stop and think about it, um, there is very little that any of us individually can do to create change. There really is no hope in a man or a woman in some office. Um, Our greatest hope is in the preserving agent of righteous people in every community. And that manifests itself through Christ's church. The greatest thing that we can do for our country is to be a holy and pure church. And what our Lord is addressing here has everything to do with a pure and holy church that deals with sin. I was reminded of this in a practical, visual way when we were up cutting wood the other week at New Life Bible Camp. We have a great time up there. It's a beautiful day. And uh, we were on the side of the mountain. The camp director, Todd Donaldson, had marked a number of trees and uh, with paint, and we were cutting those trees. And in the midst of, nearby, some of the marked trees was an unmarked tree. It was a tall cherry tree. I'm holding a slice of it right here in my hands. It appeared to be a, a sound, healthy tree overall. There were a few bad branches, and as we looked at it, we decided we needed it out of the way, and so we decided to cut this tree down. And if you've ever sawed with a chainsaw, you know what it is to feel it break through the bark area and the harder outside, and then all of a sudden the saw went quickly. And in fact, the tree fell before we were ready. It created no danger because it was rotten at the core. It didn't look like it. it. It appeared to be a fairly healthy tree, a cherry tree. had still had leaves, and the bark was pretty sound, and it, and it didn't give itself away. Um, but somewhere along the line, the bugs had entered. Somewhere along the line, the termites and carpenter ants or whatever kind of bugs they are that get into cherry trees began to lay eggs and the larvae began to feed and they began to bore in and feed on the sap and the wood fiber. And so that which looked sound on the outside was hollow on the inside and in a lot of ways we have to be careful that the church in America doesn't look like that. That we're pretty sound looking, we seem strong, and yet the termites of sin have bored in and weakened us and and. This is a very important aspect in the church of maintaining holiness and purity and having a righteous, godly stand for truth. We can only do that if we are a truly righteous church. And we're only a righteous church if we have sound relationships within the church. 
It's interesting to me how our Lord just segued right into this passage, teaching the disciples, confronting them about their own pride and arrogance. Evidently, this conversation they had been having in Matthew 18, Mark chapter 9 shed light on it, remember? They had been having a conversation about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Our Lord had illustrated with a child that we needed this childlike faith to enter the kingdom. Our Lord had emphasized the seriousness of offending any of his children, believers in Christ, children of the Heavenly Father, those who have entered his kingdom in faith. To offend them is is a very serious thing. It's a very serious sin to cause another believer to sin. And we recognize, as our Lord teaches, though he is addressing specifically his disciples here, we recognize that he's very concerned that at a personal level they not have unconfessed sin among themselves. He knows that they are going to be the leaders, the church planters and the preachers. If God is going to do a work through the gospel, through their lives, they needed to have appropriate, sound, Christ-like relationships. Our Lord is teaching at a very personal level. It's very practical. Many of you know this passage. It's known as the church discipline passage. Um, I found with two stabs at it already that I can't get through the text and the notes without the clock ticking away our time. So even though, even as I prepared for today, I recognize that there are a number of questions and issues that surface out of this passage. And so we'll just take our time and deal with the first two points on our outline. We'll make some practical application and we'll pick it up from there in the future try to deal with some of this interesting teaching. Let's read our text. It's Matthew chapter 18. It begins with verse 15. We'll read our entire text, verse 20. And let's see what we can gain from our passage today. Our Lord teaching, having just told the story, remember, of the 99 sheep and then the one that went astray, and that was one who had evidently represented as one who had entered his kingdom, but who because of the offense from among the 99 had gone out, was not comfortable to stay there, had been offended by someone in the 99. The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and finds that sheep to bring it back. And the idea is not that it would be uh, lose its soul necessarily, but that it would leave the company of believers, that it would be weakened and devoured out in the world. And if your brother sins against you, verse 15, coming directly out of the story of the 99 sheep and the one who strayed, if your brother sins against you, In other words, don't leave and run away into the mountains, but go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. What a remarkable Continued teaching of our Lord. If you have your notes nearby, the first thing that we want to deal with is when a brother sins against you. That's what our Lord is talking about here. I take it that the word picture of the sheep is the idea that that one was sinned against and so it left the flock. 
And our Lord immediately addresses, and this is continuous teaching to the disciples, and He wants to deal with this matter of among the believers, if someone sins against another, what do you do? When your brother sins against you, what do you do? Well, let's look at the specifics of this situation and what our Lord addresses here. Number one, we see that it is about offenses between believers in Christ. Make sure you have that straight. What our Lord is talking about here is offenses that take place between believers in Christ. He will deal in other passages and in the epistles we have as well, how to deal with when we're offended with people who are outside of the kingdom or outside of Christ's church. How do we deal with them? That's different than when we're offended and sinned against by somebody in the body. So in this context, specifics of this situation, it is about believers. He only reinforces that as we recognize that it is in, in the context of teaching about the 99. And he uses repeatedly as well this phrase, his little ones, and how serious it is to offend any of these little ones. What is that? That's not a little baby. That's somebody who comes in childlike faith, believing and enters into his kingdom of which his church is a part. So he's talking about believers here. Protecting his little ones. Take care of each other. Do not harm one another. In fact, if you do, you, you would even be better off. Rather than cause somebody to sin, you would be better off to die a premature, ugly death with a millstone around your neck. I want you to see that he's also talking about serious violation here. The seriousness of the violation is emphasized by the word sin. Okay, He's not talking about simple offenses that are irritations necessarily. Because I recognize that there is no end to the things that people might do that we don't like. All right? Um, all kinds of irritations. I was teasing Wayne and Carolyn McKenzie this morning. I don't have permission to use their name, but I'm going to use it anyway. Um, Wayne and Carolyn were here when the choir was beginning to sing this morning. Wayne and Carolyn always come to the first service. They're always here early, and they always sit right in the back next to the soundboard there, row in front of the soundboard. And I came in, and they were seated on the other side of the auditorium, and I stopped, and I was aghast that they could do church on the other side of the aisle. And they laughed, and they were okay. Um, I think they were okay, but you know how it is? That's my seat right there. All of the things that we can do to irritate one another, there's no end to that list. We recognize that. And isn't it interesting that the New Testament has to remind us over and over and over to bear with one another, love one another, endure patiently with one another, forgive one another, when we're all redeemed and heaven-bound and we're going to spend eternity together like at one happy vacation. And yet we struggle to get along. Redeemed ones. Oh, the flesh is strong, isn't it? The flesh is strong. And sometimes we love the feeling of just letting the flesh get loose and indulging the flesh with our own anger, our own personal rights, and my ability to, to, in pride and arrogance, to put you down in your proper place. That's what the disciples have been doing, evidently, to the degree that their feelings were hurt, arguing over who was the greatest in the kingdom, and our Lord recognizes that there's little foxes nipping the vines here. There, is, there are flies in the ointment of the apothecary. 
I, I have a saying that I use with our leadership team sometime. It is that it is easier to dig out dandelions than it is to cut down oak trees. I know that dandelions don't turn into oak trees, but when you're dealing with a problem, you're dealing with an irritant and an issue and something, it's easier to get that dandelion dealt with than it is to have a huge oak tree, something that's gone on for years and time and it's established. And then we got to saw that thing down with great pain. You got to bring in a track hoe to dig out the stump and it's just horrible and everything is torn up and it could have been dealt with early on. Our Lord knows The reputation of his church is going to be at stake based upon the interpersonal relationships of his disciples. If they can't stand each other and they're sinning against one another and it's not dealt with, Satan will win great victories. But he promised he would build his church. So he wants to instruct us how that's going to work. Well, the specifics of the situation are that this is about believers in Christ. This is about protecting the body of Christ and little ones. It's a serious violation because it's sin. All right. It's not just sitting in my chair. It is something that violates the word of God. And you know when this is. You know when you've been sinned against. You you just are hurt and confused sometimes. You think, why did they say that? Why did they do that? What happened? And you can't forget about it. If it's an irritant, you finally recognize, come on, get over it. You know I shouldn't act that way. But when you've been sinned against, you begin to get to where maybe even you don't sleep well. Or when you do sleep, you wake up and it's the first thing on your mind. And and you are so burdened and the relationship is broken. And and you even begin to think things like, oh, that person goes to the 8 o'clock service. I think I'll go to the 11 o'clock service. I just don't want to see them. And you know... And there's a little voice inside telling you something's not right. And you can identify the offense. Well, let's uh, continue to read. Our Lord says, there has been a sin against you. And now what we need to do is answer the question, who's going to start the conversation? So who starts the conversation? Our Lord says, for you to go and tell him his fault. Go and tell him, so you are the one. So what we find out from our Lord's teaching immediately is that the one who is offended is the one who starts the conversation. That's interesting. There's a reason for that. Part of it is, and he adds it, number two, is that you go and you tell him what he has done. Now, sometimes members of the body of Christ are like good husbands. They don't even know that they offended you. They have been so offensive. And you can't believe it. And you're angry and you're upset. And days go by and it's not right. And finally he says, honey, is something wrong? Yes. What what, what happened? You were so offensive. You hurt me. When? And a good husband has no idea when he offended his wife, right? And that's why we listen to our wife. And we say, when did you? When? Listen. He said, oh, Absolutely. And so part of the reason you go and you say and you speak and you tell is because they might not even know it. Janet and I were walking the dog the other night and we got up here by the church and um, we decided to go see Jack Dickerson next door. It was right before dark. We had just enough time to slip in and say hi to him up in his bed there and then walk back home. And so I started to think about Jack And I stepped through. There's a little trail where we cut through here into the backyard. And I did something that I very much know better than, both as in hunting and outdoors, is I stepped ahead of her and I pulled back a branch and I let go of it and it smacked her right in the face. I just wasn't thinking. 
And I did feel very badly. She yelped in pain, and then she yelped in another way. <laughs> and, and she was absolutely right. I was careless. You know, sometimes people offend us and sin against us because they're careless. They're just not thinking. And so he says, you have to go. You have to go to them. And you have to tell them. All right, so the offended one clarifies. Now, I want you to see in this the face-to-face nature of this. Notice that it is not email. It is not a letter. It is not a smoke signal that they were supposed to figure out. It is you are to go to them face-to-face because there's something about body language, isn't there? There's something about eye contact. There's something about your countenance. And you're to go to them and you are to look them in the eye. And you're to express to them, I need to speak to you. You have sinned against me. All right? So notice what happens in the passage. He said it's between you and him alone. You go, you tell him his fault, and it is between you and him alone. Now notice the scope, the parameter of how the information is supposed to be dealt with. Because isn't it always easy to avoid confrontation? We don't like confrontation, and so we avoid it. And we would rather talk to someone we know will be sympathetic to our cause rather than to the one who actually offended us. And the next thing you know, we're talking to all kinds of people about issues that is none of their business. Our Lord also knows that words have tremendous impact and influence. In fact, I gave a warning there. The warning is to guard our speech. And I put all kinds of proverbs in there that are just simple proverbs. And that's homework for you to just take your notes and look up these proverbs. They will help you, even if you think you don't have a problem with your tongue and your speech and your lips. You want to read these verses. They're very simple. And I would encourage you to underline them in your Bible and and be reminded of the impact of words. And one of those that's a favorite is in chapter 18, uh, between 6 and 8 there. It talks about the words of a whisperer or a gossip are like choice morsels. You know what that is, right? You, I was at a breakfast the other morning and they, for pastors and they gave us Hershey's candy bars with almonds in them. And it had the slip cover on it about thanking pastors for all they do. It was very kind. And I thought to myself, I'll wait till later. I'm not hungry. And by the time I was at Shepherdstown, I was done with it. Why, it was a choice morsel. I just couldn't resist. I'm such an undisciplined pastor. And I opened that. I love chocolate and almond together. Mmm choice morsel. It's a reminder from Proverbs, right? The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. You just, oh, succulent. You have to talk. No, no, no. That's what causes sin to increase. That's what causes rottenness to set in at the core. So the offended initiates. You go and you tell him. The offended then clarifies And the scope of the information is him alone. You talk to him alone, not to anyone else. All right? With a warning to guard your speech. And you know, I would take it as well that all other teaching of Christian grace in our New Testament applies at this time. That you are to go lovingly. In fact, that's what Galatians chapter 6 says. Galatians chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, talks about confronting a brother to restore them. The goal is always restoration. 
And in Galatians 6.1 it says, go to them, and the NIV uses the word gently. Go to them gently. You know, you don't go to rip off face. You don't go to beat them down into their position so that they know how stupid they really are. How could you be so foolish? You offended me. You, no, you don't go that way. You go in brokenness. You go. In fact, our Lord already taught about this, didn't he? He taught about this back in chapter 6. And when, remember when he was talking about taking the log out of your eye before you go getting specks out of other people's eyes. The caution that is to be used as we go to confront, we are indeed instructed to go to our brothers. Otherwise, the Lord knows it will be like termites and it will destroy the core of the body. You carefully examine yourself. You go gently. You go lovingly, Galatians 6 says as well. You go with an attitude of seeking to restore the relationship. You go with caution, lest you fall into the similar sin. It's easy to do, to be guilty of the very thing that is the thing that has offended me the most. I'm actually guilty of it, maybe over here at another level. It's interesting how that works. So the scope of information is him alone. We've been warned, and we end up, hopefully, with the sweetness of reconciliation. Now here's how this looks, right? You go... You've been bothered. You know you've been sinned against. And you recognize you cannot let this go. And so you go to the individual alone in private. You look him in the eye. You gently, lovingly, carefully, Christ-like, explain the situation. Hopefully, they look at you and they say, I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me? So listen, someone's explaining that you've offended them with a sinful behavior, a sinful word, a sinful attitude. You, you don't say, well, if I've offended you, if I've offended you, I'm sorry. That doesn't do much good at all for anyone. No, Hopefully the Spirit of God has been convicting them. If they knew about it, the Spirit of God's been working on them. If they didn't know about it, then they listen and they shut their mouth and they hear the offense. Do not begin with your trial lawyer defense system explaining why everything is the way it is. No, you be quiet. You humble your heart and you listen. And reconciliation takes place and you are so sorry. And the relationship is restored. And isn't that a most beautiful thing at all levels? But it doesn't always happen that way. And our Lord knows it. And he says, um, okay, so what are you going to do, number two, when your brother refuses to listen? What if he refuses to listen? And so he says in verse 16, uh, verse 15, the sweetness of restoration, you've gained your brother back. But if he does not, verse 16, listen, okay, he refuses to listen, or he thinks you're full of nonsense, and he doesn't want to hear what you have to say, or he avoids you, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So your brother now refuses to hear you out, and it's because, letter A, he refuses to listen because he lacks humility. That's why. Listen, pride and arrogance, pride and arrogance are the breakdown of relationship, aren't they? At all levels. And he refuses because he lacks humility. And letter B, he refuses to take responsibility. He refuses to take responsibility for his behavior. 
He doesn't want to say, I really did do that. No, no, you don't understand. I didn't mean anything by... No, no, just be quiet. You have sinned. Let the Spirit of God show you. Let this loving brother or sister in Christ help you. Okay, so you have refused if you were the offender, offender and if you're the offended, you now go back and you prayerfully consider and you need to gather. It is possible, it is possible that this was a, an offense that took place as a group like the disciples in our context. They had been arguing and fighting and infighting and putting one another down and belittling one another and telling the others that they don't deserve to sit at his right hand. I deserve to sit at his right hand because you're trash and I'm not. And, and they were guy talking, I'm sure. And our Lord said, enough, enough. So he refuses to listen. So what you do is you find one or two others and it is possible that they have actually observed or heard or were, were present at the time of the offense. It is also possible that they don't know anything about the actual moment of the offense, but they still can be a valuable witness. This isn't in your notes, but they can be a witness to this confrontation. Okay, so you're going to take two or one or two or three people. They need to be godly people. They need to be mature people. All right, they need to be respectworthy people. And you take them with you to confront this offended brother that you've already been to and they refuse to talk to you. And so now you get with them, all right, and you have these two with you. It's probably going to be quite uncomfortable in the room right now. And you explain to them, I came to you. You offended me. You sinned against me. And I'm telling you, we need to make this right. All right? You have sinned. We need to make this right. And I've brought these two along that they would be a witness. That, and, and see, it's going to be confrontive a little bit. They need to be a witness. They need to be a witness to the, to the character with which you approach this thing. So they can be witnesses to your character even. They bring credibility. All right? And so... Um, you need to take steps to reinforce your credibility. And they can, they're standing there and, they're, and they hear what this person is saying. No, no, this person, no, you cannot say that about this individual. We know them. We know that's not true. And this kind of thing. All right. And so they are a witness to the confrontation. They're a witness to the character. They're a witness to the, to the words of the conversation that go on. And I take it in the build up to verse 17, where we're going to have to go before the church if they refuse to listen to the small group confrontation, that they are witnesses that you have handled this correctly. And they're witnesses to all of that. He refuses to take responsibility. You have reinforced your credibility. And now you need to clarify and remove all ambiguity. And we're cutting to the chase on this thing. We're right down to the point. There is no ambiguity. We know exactly what we're talking about. And the two witnesses or one or more witnesses can also help with communication in case there is some misunderstanding or ambiguity about this whole situation. And then if he refuses to listen to them... Tell it to the church. Ah, now it's becoming very public. That which started out alone is now very public. But it is so important to deal with this. Yeah, I, was, I was thinking about, uh, I've told this story years ago, about a time in Bible college where we had a friend, he was a friend, who had tremendous body odor, hygiene issues. He was a guy. 
He was on our team. He sang in our music groups, lived in the dorm. Everybody on the whole campus knew he had an issue. Everybody. And it went on and on and on. People talked about it. I worked in the dorm there as part of the custodial staff for a while, and I had keys to a janitor's closet, and I was working on the lower hallway one time, and he came cutting through, and we were alone. And I opened the janitor's closet to the big room there where the trash bins were and so forth, and I said, hey, man, come in here a minute. Yeah, what's up? I need to talk to you. I was a little nervous. I mean, I'm capable of body odor. Who do I think I am to talk to him? And I called him in and, and I looked him in the eye so that he could see my face. I really did care about this guy. And I said, hey, I'm afraid you don't realize that you have a real bad odor issue going on. His eyes widened and he said, I had no idea. I had no idea. We talked about it a little bit and what some things to do. And I was worried that he didn't know what to do. And uh, he said, thank you. You know that he became one of the best smelling guys on campus. <laughs> you know, if we don't lovingly tell one another the truth. And we let the odor just kind of permeate the body. It's not good. Looks like that tree, right? Maybe on the outside it's okay, but on the inside it's eaten up. I'll tell you what this world needs right now. It needs a good Bible church on almost every corner that's the best smelling church in town. Where the people love each other. And, and they've dealt with the termites of sin that would bore within and divide the body. I'm just going to stop right here with the sermon and pick it up. There's a lot more to think about. Maybe we could just stand and bow our heads and we could think about where we are in relationships. It's possible that our Lord's teaching today from Matthew 18, 15, and 16 brings a demand upon some of you to act. You have been offended. I don't mean irritated. Somebody sitting in your spot or something. You know you've been sinned against and it's divided. You need to go to that individual. Lovingly, carefully, kindly, with your heart examined, explain the offense. Seek to reconcile. Find the sweetness of restored relationship. By God's grace, may Fellowship Bible Church be the best-smelling church around because of honest, Christ-like dealing with sinful relationships. So, Father, we need your help for this. This is easy to talk about and hard to do. And we need your help, and we need your wisdom, and we need your blessing. We want to be a strong church. We want to be a sweet-smelling church to you as you look into the core of our being and to the world as they are puzzled by what those people are all about. Father, that we would permeate this community with sweet-smelling righteous behavior, righteous good works,
that will end up being a preserving agent. Commit ourselves to you for another week. We just will keep our eyes on you. Show us how to live. Show us how to love one another deeply. In Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen.